So if you would, turn in your worship guide to page 10, or if you have your Bible, Psalm 13 is where we are today, or if you just like to listen, that works too. As we turn to our passage, um, just as a, a little side note, side comment this morning, uh, Kurt was so gracious uh, here just a second ago to help me think about this. Um, so many of you know, if you don't know, um, I have a light sensitivity disorder, and I usually wear uh, special lenses when I preach that helps me to uh, see you better, but also helps me to talk a little easier. Uh, I forgot those this morning. So just as a note, I know I'm very squinty up here right now, and uh, please know that I, I am okay. Um we're, we're going to get through this. I might stutter a little bit more this morning, uh, but I just want to, I'm not mad at you. That's not my squinting my face. Uh, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get through this. I'm okay. And uh, those of you that have shown concern this morning, thank you very much. Okay. Uh, disclaimer aside, uh, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 13, for the director of music, Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day of sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer Lord, my God, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray it again. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the way that you speak to us in it. This morning, I pray that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us in Psalm 13. Lord, would you uh, attune our hearts and our minds and our ears to you. And Lord, I pray that we would we would receive from you exactly what we need for every single person in here. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seen. What's that? Oh, thank you. No, I'm good. I got it. Thank you so much, sir. All right, Psalm 13. We've been we've been in the Psalms. We'll be in the Psalms probably a few more weeks. Uh, we come back and forth into the Psalms and out of them and in between other series. Uh, and this little section that we've been in, uh, starting last time when we did Psalms, starting with like Psalm 9 and 10, and then this time, the last few weeks, Psalm 11, 12, 13, they're all very similar. They're all psalms for crisis. 
congregational psalms. Psalms that are to teach us as a congregation that were designed for congregational singing. That's why it says to the choir master to teach us how to reach out for God, how to pray, uh, how to have faith in times of crisis. It's kind of been this re, uh, reoccurring refrain and theme as we've been in this little section of this altar. And today is no different. This is a crisis song. This is a what am I supposed to do when life is hard song. Psalm 13. But this one is a little bit uh, different than the ones that we've been doing. You know, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And that the crisis in this psalm is uh, uh, not necessarily something that comes from outside of the singer. It's not necessarily limited to a crisis as community or family or something like that. Uh, there's some of that here, but the, the main crisis in this psalm is a crisis of the heart. We see in this psalm um, the psalmist is crying out to God, crying out to God in desperation. That phrase, how long, O Lord, that's repeated four times. In the Hebrew, that phrase uh, comes with great emphasis. It's rhetorical. It's, it's not like, Lord, uh, how much longer on the clock do we have? It's not that. And, and it, the way that it's framed grammatically in Hebrew, it comes with a punch. It, it's almost like if you've been on a family road trip, uh, kids, this one's for you. Have you ever been on a family road trip and you're stuck in the back seat? It feels like you have been back there forever. So you say, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, grown up, uh, how much longer? Yeah, you want an answer, but that's not the main reason you're saying that. You're saying that because you're ready to get out of the car, right? That's the kind of how long we find here, but like times a hundred. It's emphatic. This is a song about crying out to God because we have heart pain, heart crisis. And what this song does, it shows us by example And we're meant to repeat it and sing it and do it over and over again so we learn how. It shows us how to cry out to God when we have deep heart hurt. Crying out to God is something that God has, uh, it's a gift that God has given us when we are in pain, that we can cry out directly to him and he hears us. And this psalm shows us how to do it. Crying out to God is something that we find. Uh, it's something that the people of God do from time to time. We, we find throughout scripture examples of God's people who are in pain, who are in distress, crying out to God and God doing something about it. One, one of the most famous examples of people crying out to God comes from the book of Exodus. If you remember the people of Israel had been enslaved for 400 years under the thumb of the Egyptians. And it says that during this time, this is in Exodus 2, uh, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. They cried out to God for help. And their cry went up to God. And God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. Folks, when you are in a crisis, specifically in a crisis that goes all the way down deep into your heart, did you know that you can cry out to God and he will hear you? Well, how do you do that? Well, this psalm shows us how. So I want to look at the psalm, I'm going to analyze it a little bit, and then I want to draw out some things to show you that teach us what it means to cry out to God. So first... Um, this psalm comes in three sections, and they're a couple, two verses each. We have the first section, uh, which is verses one and two, and that's an outcry of lament. The psalmist is crying out, just, uh, he's lamenting, he's, he's pouring out his feelings. That's the first part, we have an outcry of lament, and then that's followed by an outcry of petition, verses 3 and 4. He's asking God to do something. And then that's followed, verses uh, 5 and 6, by an outcry of trust. And it's no coincidence, it's no accident that the psalm starts with lament. And it ends with trust. What the psalm, what the psalmist, David, is showing us that when we cry out to God in this way, by the end of our outcry, something changes in our heart. See, when we cry out to God, it's not just that God hears and does something. When we cry out to God in this way, actually in the process of crying out, something changes inside of us. And the thing that changes inside of us when we cry out to God in this way is a good thing. The psalmist shows us going from despair all the way to trust. Now, wouldn't you like to be able to do that? Wouldn't you like to be able to, in a, in a, in, in a time when you are in pain, in distress, in fear, you're lonely, you're hurt, wouldn't you like to cry out to God and know that he hears you? And know that in the actual process of crying out, he is forming you in order to be able to see the light of his goodness. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? Well, this psalm shows us how. So let's walk through it. First section, the outcry of lament, verses 1 and 2. David is uh, pouring his heart out to God. Outcry of lament. He goes to God crying. How long, oh Lord? Again, that's, that's, that's rhetorical. It's emphatic. It's almost accusing God of something. How long? He says, how long? Will you forget me forever? David feels and designed the song for anyone who feels forgotten by God. Now, that little verse that we read in Exodus, it's an example of God's people crying out. It says that they, they cried out to the Lord, and it says that God remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When the Bible talks about God remembering his people, now, God doesn't God doesn't have a bad memory like I do. Uh, God doesn't struggle with remembering people's names, remembering his commitments. He knows everything, including everything he's ever committed to. So when the Bible talks about God remembering his people, that's an anthropomorphism. That means it's using language we would normally use about mortal human beings 
to help us understand what the eternal God is doing. It's like an analogy. So when it says that God remembers his people, it's like a almost like a poetic way of saying that God decides to do something for his people, to deliver his people from their hardship, to act on his people's behalf. So David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David is saying, how long, O Lord, you are not doing anything for me. You're not delivering me. I don't see any benefits of me being a person of faith in my life. It's like, it's almost like you, like I'm, like you had never promised me anything. I, I don't see the salvation. I don't feel the salvation. I don't feel your deliverance. How long? That's strong. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? And we know that God is spirit. He did become a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And that human being, Jesus, has a physical face. But that had not happened yet when David wrote this. When the Bible, especially the Old Testament, talks about God's face, what it's talking about is God's blessing. You know, every at the end of every service, we do a benediction. That's when we raise our hands. And we we take some blessing from the scriptures, and as the pastor, I say it out loud over you and to you and before God, right? It's a benediction. One of the most famous ones comes from Numbers 6, and that's the one you've heard it before. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's a fancy word for face. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. That's a famous benediction. So when David says, how long will you hide your face from me? He's saying, how long will you withhold your blessing from me? David has said, Lord, you're not, I don't feel your deliverance. I don't feel your salvation. I don't feel your blessing. Where is it? David's struggling with what we would call assurance of his salvation. David is feeling like he's not even saved, if you will. Why does it even matter that he is a worshiper of the true God? Why does it matter that he had made a profession of faith? That he had been circumcised, or we would say baptized? I don't see any difference. That's what David's struggling with. He says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? He has anxiety. He can't turn off the voice that's just replaying whatever he's going through, replaying the events, relitigating. He, he can't turn it off. He says, day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. Have you ever felt so sad? It felt like you were carrying around this big weight with you everywhere you go. That's what he's feeling here. Then he says, how long will my enemy triumph over me? We don't know if he's talking about a physical enemy like the Philistines or King Saul or a spiritual enemy like the devil or an inner enemy like his own sin nature. But what we do know is whoever the enemy was, he's losing. Now, have you ever felt these things in your own life? 
Have you ever felt like it didn't matter if you were a Christian or not? Or maybe I don't even know if I am because it doesn't seem to make any difference in my life. It doesn't matter that I go to church and worship God because I don't care. I had somebody tell me yesterday that he said, he said, when I bow my head and pray, I just get a dial tone. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever wondered if God has truly saved you from your sins? Or if Jesus truly ever rose from the dead? Because I'm just not seeing anything different in the world. Do you struggle with anxiety? Do you struggle with depression? Do you feel alone? I think at this point, almost every one of our hands should be up. At some point, we have, you're not feeling it now, felt it somewhere in your life. Well, King David, as a human being, we would relate to him here. So he shows us that when we feel these things, when we feel doubts about the status of our salvation, when we feel sad and down and depressed, when we feel anxious, when we feel like we don't see God's blessing in our life, what can we do about it? And David shows us you can go to God crying, freely telling him exactly how you feel, telling him the truth the way that you feel it. Cry out to God. And go crying. You know, we struggle. I, I think many of us, let's say many of us, I think we struggle with this. There's a thing in our tradition, our worship tradition, the Reformed tradition, that we, we tend to, you know, we like things being decent and in order, as, as the Bible tells us. We like to uh, emphasize the fact that God is holy and he's the king and he's dignified, and all of that is true. But I think sometimes when we come into worship, and I think sometimes when we bow our heads in prayer, we feel that in order to approach God and be heard by God, we need to be dignified. We need to be formal. We need to have control of our feelings. We need to show our maturity. We need to bring our best to God. You ever heard that? Or do you feel that that might be true? Maybe you're saying, wait a second, Charlie, isn't that true? (laughs) Did you know that the Bible doesn't say, bring your best to God? Doesn't say it. Folks, God doesn't care about getting your best as much as he cares about getting your heart. And he calls us his children. He refers to himself as our father. And if your kids, those of you who are blessed with kids, never, ever, ever came to you in tears and say, Mom or Dad, help me. What would parenting be like for you? Some of you might say, that sounds kind of nice. But if it never, you, you would wonder, what's going on here? Kids, if you couldn't go to your, your grown-up, in tears and say, you know, mom, dad, grown up, help me. Wouldn't that be terrible? Folks, when crying out to God, go to him in your tears. We've talked about this a lot in the Psalms. Feel your feelings to God. He is big enough to handle it. And if you need to use strong language, like the psalmist does here, Lord, how long? I can handle that. 
He became a human being and worked a blue-collar job, hung out with fishermen, tax collectors, and prostitutes, was policed by Roman soldiers. He can handle whatever you have to say to him. He's heard strong language before. You are his child. You belong to Jesus. When you are in pain, take the be careful who's around you, of course. But you can take the filter off and go to him. Dad. So that's the first thing. You cry out to God. Cry and lament. Go to him with your honest gut crying. That's what we see in the first section. Okay, the second section. This is the cry of petition. David says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes where I sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Here David asks for something specific. He says, God, look at me. Whoa, <laughs> that's bold. But remember, the face of God, the look of God is connected to his blessing. David is saying, Lord, bless me. Look at me. And then here's where he says, bless me, look at me. Lord, look on me. Uh, give light to my eyes or I sleep in death. Give light to my eyes. That's a Hebrew idiom that means give me energy. Give me life. There's a, there's a great story in a book of, um, I guess second Samuel, first Samuel, first Samuel. Remember Jonathan and David, John, David's best friend, Jonathan. There's a story about Jonathan. He's out in battle and the troops have been fighting all day long and they hadn't eaten or drank anything in over a day. And everybody's famished and weak. And the, the troops are at the point of exhaustion. Jonathan is walking through the woods and he comes upon a, um, what do you call those things? Uh, a honey, a beehive, beehive with honeycomb. And it says that he takes his staff and he sticks it in the beehive and pulls out like a, like a thing of honey and eats it. And then it says, and when he ate it, his eyes became bright. That's, that's, that's a great image here. He tastes the honey, he gets the food, sugar rush, and all of a sudden he has life and energy. Well, David says, give light to my eyes, give me energy, give me, uh, uh, what do you call it? Well, I think energy will work. And then this, he says, if you don't, I will sleep death. That's what it literally says in Hebrew. I will sleep death. David is asking for something specific. He's saying, Lord, I need some energy to get through this day. And then he's, he, 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 he gives God a for us. If you don't do it, I'm going to die. Now, maybe he's being metaphorical. Maybe he's being, maybe there's an enemy just right around the corner, some, you know, some opposing army. We don't know when, but what he, what he's giving to us here is he's giving us permission to go to God and ask for what we need specifically. He showed us that when you go to God, go with your lament, go cry, and now he's showing us when you go to God, go asking. Ask specifically for what you need. You know, this is something else that I think that we might struggle with sometimes. 
uh, you know, there's there's another thing that's not in the Bible, which is that um, we've talked about this before. That a whole idea that God helps those who help themselves, right? This is called the Protestant work ethic, and it comes from our tradition. And it's this idea that if you have a problem, first do everything in your power to fix it. Get up, go to work, do what you can, and then go to God, and He'll take care of the rest. And you know. Maybe sometimes that's, that can be a good thing. You know, yeah, of course. I, like, get up, go to, you know, go to work in the morning, do your job the best you can. Um, you know, take care of your family and, you know, God's, know that God's going to take care of you. Sure, of course. But when you are in a heart crisis, I think sometimes we feel like we need to, just like we feel like we need to clean ourselves up and be dignified before we go to God. We want to go to God, but we don't want to ask specifically for what we need by name because we want to show God, we want to prove to God that we got this. And I think if David was sitting here, he would say, guys, that's ridiculous. I told God, if you don't give me energy today, I feel like I'm going to die. You tell God what you need. There's a great story in the New Testament that illustrates this. Jesus was walking along with his disciples, and a man cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus looked over, and it was a, it was a blind person. His name was Bartimaeus. And he was kind of well-known in that neighborhood as, as a blind, um, panhandling uh, person who begged for money. And Jesus hears Bartimaeus yell, Lord, have mercy on me. And what Jesus does in that moment is really beautiful. By the way, I think this is in Mark chapter 5. Oh, Mark chapter 10. It's Mark 10. Jesus hears, Lord, have mercy on me. He looks over and sees Bartimaeus there. And then he walks over to Bartimaeus and he says, stand up. Bartimaeus stands up and then Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I think it was obvious what Bartimaeus wanted. Jesus had been walking around healing blind people the whole time. And here's Bartimaeus yelling, Lord, have mercy on me. But Jesus walks over and says, stand up. It's like he's saying, talk to me. And then tell me exactly what you want. And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And then Jesus says something incredible. He says, Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. And then Bartimaeus could see. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't say, I have healed you. I think it's obvious that that happened. He doesn't say, God has healed you. He says, your faith has healed you. That's weird. And where was Bartimaeus' faith? It was the faith to stand up and tell Jesus, this is what I need. Folks, God wants you to come to him and tell him what you need. He is your father. He wants a relationship with you. He is not interested in your dignity or your, your dignified, you know, the religious exercise before. He doesn't care about that. He wants your heart. Tell him what you need. You know, in, in the gospel, God became a human being in Jesus so that any human being could have the riches and the beauty and the wonder of who God is within our reach. 
Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead so that we could know God and have fellowship with him. If God has given us himself, don't you think he can handle it when you say, Lord, today I need energy to get to five o'clock. Lord, today I need energy to wrangle these kids. Lord, today I need the ability to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, to mom and dad, and be, you know, and not be rude to my brother and sister. Lord, today I need enough money to get to the next paycheck. Lord, today I I need to be able to go to sleep tonight because I haven't slept in six nights and I have that big thing tomorrow at work. Lord, today I need this family member to stop saying terrible things on social media and I see it and get all frustrated. Lord, today this is what I need from you. Help me get through this. David shows us that when we come to God, tell him what you need. Here's the last thing. Last section. We have the outcry of lament, the outcry of petition. And then here in this last section, these last two verses, the whole tone of the psalm changes. We see an outcry of trust. And it's a little strange. Psalm starts with, you know, how long? That rhetorical, emphatic, maybe almost sarcastic thing. It goes to asking for specific needs or else I'm going to die. And then it, and then there's this, but I trust in your unfeeling love. My heart rejoices at your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Now, where did David get this good attitude all of a sudden? Where does the shift come from? What happens in between tears of crying out, Tears of asking for what he needed, and then here, rejoicing with joy because of God's love. What is it? Because whatever that is, that's the thing that I want. And when we're crying out to God in our tears, with our needs, this is the thing that God meets us with. What is it? What changed? Well, as the psalmist cries out in lament and petition, he begins to experience trust. And the reason is, as he's crying in tears, in how long, as he's crying out, and Lord, I need this right now, as he begins to shed his outward dignity before the Lord, as he begins to shed his self-righteousness the thing that we have inside all of us, a little voice that says, I can handle this on my own. As he begins to shed that, as he begins to vocalize his ultimate dependence on God, his sense of his own power begins to fade away. His sense of his own sufficiency begins to fade away. And as he diminishes in his view of himself, Because he is shedding all of that stuff in outcry. As he breaks down, then finally, he is able to see something that is unbreakable. Something that he can't shed. Something that he can't walk away from. You see it? As he gets smaller, there is something that he is now able to see from all the way down here. Never changes. What is it? 
Well, let me read the, the little the, the section again. David says, I will trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Unfailing love. If you have a different Bible translation, it might say loyal love. If you're reading it in the original Hebrew, it will say, I will trust in your said. You've been around church. Maybe you've heard the word said before. Have you heard said? God has said. Hased is one of those Bible Hebrew words that's notoriously hard to translate. And it's because it means love, but a certain but it also means loyalty. It also means covenant relationship. It also means unfailing or unbreakable. The kind of love that God has for his people in Jesus Christ, that sort of unbreakable, unfailing, immovable, uh, relational, self-sacrificial, unconditional love is called chesed. So when David goes, has the heart pain, goes to God in outcry and petition, and as David loses his dignity and gets smaller and smaller and more and more childlike, from all the way down here, now he is finally able to see that what hasn't changed, what hasn't moved, what hasn't been affected by his crisis is this tower of love that comes from God that is unfailing, unbreakable, and immovable by any crisis. Do you see it? David needed to lower himself and able, in order to be able to see that the love of God for him in his covenant of grace never lowers. And that happens here in the outcry. Remember that I told you before that this psalm is supposed to teach us how to cry out to God in such a way that by the time we are done with crying, something changes? Well, the thing that changes is our ability to see the unbreakable love of God. When we struggle with assurance of our salvation, God, I'm not sure if you really saved me. I'm not sure if uh, if my life is any better ever since I became a Christian. I'm not sure if you're doing anything to the church. I'm not sure if any of this matters. I'm not feeling it. You can go to God and pour those feelings out. And the more you rail against him, the more you see that his love never fails because it doesn't move when you storm the gates of his castle. It's unfailing. So David, as he cries out, he begins to see that what he's crying out against is an immovable, unfailing, unchangeable love from God for him. And that's why he says, but I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. Folks, let me say it real, real simply. You are saved by grace through faith alone. But the faith that saves, it's not because your faith was so strong that it kept you from uh, death and hell and destruction. No. It's because the thing that your faith is holding on to is so strong 
that accuses you from death and health and destruction. Do you see the difference? The quality of faith that saves is not faith that comes out of a heart that's religious and dignified and has it all together and does all the right things. No. The faith that saves is a faith that in desperation reaches out to hold on to the thing that never moves. And that's the love of God. The chesed of God. So what does the chesed of God look like? How do we find it? Well, for one, you need to be done with yourself to see it. And then here's the beautiful thing. We'll, we'll end with this. This is here's the poetic genius of this song. We got verses one through one through two, the outcry of distress, the tears, and the hollering. And then we got verses three and four, the outcry of petition, the asking, and the demanding for life or else I'm going to die. And then we got this end, this five and six, this outcry of trust, because David is finally able to see the unfailing love of God. Well, I want to know, what does the unfailing love of God look like? Here's the poetic genius of the song. It looks like what's happening in verses one through four. In verses one through four, he's crying out in desperation. He's asking in desperation. Verses 5 and 6, he gets a vision of God's love, and he's trusting. What does God's love look like? Go back to the top. It looks like verses 1 through 4. Let me show you. It looks like a man who is seemingly forgotten by God. In from God's blessing. How long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It looks like a man of sorrows who's overcome with grief. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day of sorrow in my heart? It looks like a man who has been defeated by an enemy. How long will my enemy triumph over me? It looks like a man who cries out to God the Father and doesn't give get an answer. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. It looks like a man who reaches out his eyes toward the light or else he will sleep in death. Maybe a man on a cross who has to push up and look up in order to get a breath to stay alive one more moment. It looks like a man whose enemy has said, I can overcome him. And it looks like a man who, when he falls, his enemies rejoice. This psalm is brilliant. David, when he finally sees the love of God, he looks back at his distress and prophetically, by the Holy Spirit, he is able to see, oh, that doesn't look like my distress anymore. That looks like Jesus' distress. Folks, the overall message of this psalm is that when you struggle with the assurance of your salvation, take that struggle to God and rail against him. He will answer you with his unfailing love that looks like Jesus Christ on a cross bearing your burden, bearing your heart hurt. And at that moment, with the vision of Jesus, we are set free and able to rejoice. What this means is that our hardship and our distress, sometimes when we struggle with our salvation, we don't feel God's blessing, those moments are a gift. God allows us to go through hurt, because it helps us to see the beauty 
in the security that we have in Christ and God's unfailing love. I will trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices at your salvation. I'll sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's pray.